The History of Mr. Polly, Chapter Six, Section Four. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Adrian Pretzelis. The History of Mr. Polly by H. G. Wells, Chapter Six, Section Four. The dingy little room was stuffy and crowded to its utmost limit, and Mr. Polly's skies were dark with the sense of irreparable acts. Everybody seemed noisy and greedy and doing foolish things. Miriam, still in that unbecoming hat, for presently they had to start off to the station together, sat just beyond Mrs. Punt and her son, doing her share in the hospitalities, and ever and again glancing at him with a deliberately encouraging smile. Once she leant over the back of the chair to him and whispered cheeringly, soon be together now next to her sat johnson profoundly silent and then annie talking vigorously to a friend uncle penstemon was eating voraciously opposite but with a kindling eye for annie mrs larkins sat next to mr voles she was unable to eat a mouthful she declared it would choke her but ever and again mr voles wooed her to swallow a little drop of liquid refreshment. There seemed to be a lot of rice upon everybody, in their hats and hair and the folds of their garments. Presently Mr. Voles was hammering the table for the fourth time in the interests of the best man. All feasts came to an end at last, and the break-up of things was precipitated by alarming symptoms on the part of Master Punt. He was taken out hastily after a whispered consultation, and since he had got into the corner between the fireplace and the cupboard, that meant everyone moving to make way for him. Johnson took the opportunity to say, Well, so long, to anyone who might be listening, and disappeared. Mr. Polly found himself smoking a cigarette and walking up and down outside in the company of Uncle Penstemon while Mr. Voles replaced bottles in hampers and prepared for departure, and the womenkind of the party crowded upstairs with the bride. Mr. Polly felt taciturn, but the events of the day had stirred the mind of Uncle Penstemon to speech, so he spoke discursively and disconnectedly, a little heedless of his listener, as wise old men will. They do say, said Uncle Penstemon, one funeral makes many. This time's it's a wedding, but it's all very much of a muchness, said Uncle Penstemon. Am do getting my teeth nowadays, said Uncle Penstemon. Oh, I can't understand it. Tisn't like there was nuppets or strings or such it am. It's a plain food. Oh, that's better, he said at last. You got to get married, said Uncle Penstemon. Some has, some ain't. I done it long before I was your age. It ain't for me to blame you. You can't help being the marrying sort any more than me. It's natural like poaching or drinking or wind in the stomach you can't help it 
and there you are. As for the good of it, there ain't no particular good in it as I can see. It's a toss-up. The otter come, the sooner cold, but they all gets tired of it sooner or later. I ain't no grounds to complain. Two I've had and buried, and might have had a third, and never no worried with kids, never. You done well not to have the big gal. I will say that for you. She's a gad about grinny, she is, if ever was. A gad about grinny. Mucked up my mushroom beds to rights, she did, and I haven't forgotten it. Got the feet of a centipede, she has. All over everything, and neither with your leave nor by your leave, like straying in a pea-patch. Cluck! Cluck, trying to laugh it off. Poor, I laughed her off, I did, dratted lumpin' baggage. For a while he mused malevolently upon Annie and routed out a reluctant crumb from some coy sitting-out place in his tooth. Women's a toss-up, said Uncle Penstemon. Prize packets they are, and you can't tell what's in em till you take em home and undone em. Never was a bachelor marriage yet that didn't buy a pig in a poke, never. Marriage seems to change the very natures in em through and through. You can't tell what they weren't turn into, no how. I seen the nicest girls go wrong, said Uncle Penstemon, and added with unusual thoughtfulness, Not that I mean you got one of that sort. The worst sort's the grizzler, Uncle Penstemon resumed. If ever I had a grizzler, I'd up a knitter on the head with something pretty quick. <laughs> "'I don't think I could abide a grizzler,' said Uncle Penstemon. "'I'd liefer have a lump about, like that other gal I would indeed. "'I lay I'd make her stop laughing after a bit for all her airs, "'her mind where her clumsy great feet went. "'A man's got a tackle em, whatever they be.' said Uncle Penstemon, summing up the shrewd observation of an old-world lifetime. "'Good or bad,' said Uncle Penstemon, raising his voice fearlessly, "'a man's got a tackle em. At last it was time for the two young people to catch the train for Waterloo en route for Fishbourne. They had to hurry, and as a concluding glory of matrimony, they travelled second class, and were seen off by all the rest of the party except the punts, Master Punt being now, beyond any question, unwell. Off! The train moved out of the station. Mr. Polly remained waving his hat, and Mrs. Polly her handkerchief, until they were hidden under the bridge. 
The dominating figure to the last was Mr. Voles. He had followed them along the platform, waving the equestrian grey hat and kissing his hand to the bride. They subsided into their seats. "'Got a compartment to ourselves, anyhow,' said Mrs. Polly, after a pause. Silence for a moment. "'The ricey must have bought pounds and pounds.' Mr. Polly felt round his collar at the thought. "'Ain't you going to kiss me, Alfred, now we're alone together?' He roused himself to sit forward, hands on knees, cocked his hat over one eye, and assumed an expression of avidity becoming to the occasion. "'Never,' he said, "'ever,' and feigned to be selecting a place to kiss with great discrimination. "'Come here,' he said, and drew her to him. "'Be careful of my hat,' said Mrs. Polly, yielding awkwardly. End of chapter 6